0: everyone thanks for joining me for episode 41 of the mark geist show i'm sorry it's been about a probably a week and a half or two weeks since i've put out my last episode but i've just been very busy i do run another podcast as well so trying to do that i've gotten back into my book writing game which has been taking a little bit more of my time i'm writing a book about the student loan crisis the higher education bubble i think it's something people will enjoy a lot and i'm enjoying working on it but there are only so many hours in the day so sometimes i i ebb and flow back and forth between what i'm spending more time on but i'm going to try to put out this one today which today is Sunday the 19th, and I may put on another one tomorrow, Monday the 20th. I also have tomorrow off, so I'll have time to be able to do another episode. There's just so much to talk about, so much that's been happening with the Donald Trump administration and just news in general, and it's really crazy. It's only about a month in, and... There's still a, a huge new story every day. So it's probably the worst time possible for me to be slowing down my output, be slowing down how many episodes I'm putting out. But <clears throat> I guess it forces me to just focus on the important points and ignore the extraneous ones. So, first, I want to talk about this Donald Trump versus the media feud. And <clears throat> I was thinking about maybe taking some clips from the Donald Trump press conference the hour and 15 minute hour and a half press conference where basically Donald Trump was going off at the media where he he's made it clear in the past but he's made it as clear as anybody possibly could that it's now him versus the mainstream media and that seemed to be the point of this entire press conference it started out him talking about well I've done more than any president has ever done in the, in the first month of the, of the presidency. No president has ever done what I've been able to do. Typical Donald Trump boasting. Going up there and saying things that either he's stretching the truth or straight up lying. But he needs to go up and prove that I'm the best and this is why I'm the best. And that's nothing new from him. We knew this coming from him all throughout the campaign. And this should not be news to anybody. But then it turned into him blasting the media. And that was part of his message that the media is trying to take him down and that they're being unnecessarily adversarial. But I I think the point that I want to hammer home here, talking about this in this episode, is that Trump is right, but that doesn't make Trump an ally of The liberty movement at the same time it's it's a difficult position to take but i think trump is right that the media is an enemy of the american people and the government is an enemy of the american people as well in general i'm not saying there aren't people in government that are there as dutiful public servants but overall i think the government has become a tool of oppression toward the american people and the media has as well the mainstream media has and you see a story like what's happened with with PewDiePie, and this is somebody I don't follow. He is a, is a YouTube blogger, one of the one of the most popular people on all of YouTube, possibly the biggest YouTube personality out there. So fantastically popular, and all at once, the mainstream media came in and swarmed together to try to take him down, to call him an anti-Semite. And I have to say, I haven't gone back and watched all of his videos to see. What are these examples of, of anti-Semitism that they're talking about? I've seen some clips, so I can't say that I have a, I have a completely knowledgeable opinion of whether or not he's an anti-Semite. I don't think he is, and the fact that it was such a coordinated attack by all these different outlets all at once leads me to believe that it was essentially planned. You know, I'm not saying that all the representatives of these newspapers got together in a room and said, okay, we're going to take down PewDiePie today. And all of you publish stories at this time, and we're gonna we're gonna do it that way. I don't think it's coordinated to that level, but I do think that once somebody jumps on the let's attack an independent journalist or an independent personality that we can't control, once somebody jumps on that train, everybody else jumps in as well. And they're trying to do it. They're trying to get clicks. They're trying to get views. These these outlets like the Washington Posts and the CNNs and the the New York Times of the world they're all struggling, and their viewerships are all going down, and that's one of the big reasons why they're attacking independent media and attacking somebody like Trump who they can't control. That's one of the big reasons why they're doing this. It's both good for temporary clicks, and they think that we can, or that they can now suppress somebody that they don't agree with and somebody that poses as a threat to their very existence. But you saw this coordinated attack against PewDiePie, basically Trying to trying to call him a, a neo-Nazi. Trying to frame him as this fringe personality. And like I said before, I don't know enough about him to be able to really say 100% like this is a great guy. I've, I've really read more secondhand accounts of, of his account and I had never really heard of, of much controversy before this. You know, every big personality out there has some sort of controversy surrounding them at one point or another. But... This seems like a regular guy that's doing really well for himself and that does a lot of satire and comedy type of things and his followers eat it up. I don't think he's someone nefarious out there that really harbors these neo-Nazi types of beliefs, which is basically the way that, that these outlets were trying to frame him. But this is just one example of many where look at look at this powerful apparatus, this powerful mainstream media apparatus and how it can be used to go and target somebody that does not that, that does not fall within this range of acceptable opinion. And basically the range of acceptable opinion if you're anywhere to the right of someone like David Brooks then you should not be given an outlet with one of these mainstream uh, one of these mainstream networks or newspapers to espouse whatever you're espousing. And to these people everybody that falls to the right of somebody like David Brooks might as well be somebody like Richard Spencer. You know, they're all the same. Everybody to the right of them, they're all racists, they're all bigots, and we can just lump them all together into this one big group and they're somebody or they're a group of people that we don't even need to concern ourselves with. They're they're such extremists, they're just fringe nobodies, and we don't need to listen to them. That those are not acceptable opinions, those are offensive opinions. And that's what's been happening with the mainstream media for years now. I mean, for for, for over a decade at the very least, and really a lot longer than that but I think it's gotten progressively worse over time and they've become more emboldened because they see the threat that independent media poses to them there are all these independent networks out there and uh independent websites and it's so easy now for somebody like me to start up a podcast and to be able to get their opinion out there and some of these podcasts have become huge you know some of these websites have become huge Something like the Drudge Report, started by a guy in his basement, basically. And now it's it's just as powerful as any of those big-time outlets. And some of these podcasts have become fantastically huge. If you look at the Liberty Movement, I think I think podcasts have been one of the most effective ways to get that message out there. You look at the fantastic growth of the Jason Stapleton program. Uh, the Tom Wood Show has, has really done a good job of, of getting that message out there. There are multiple instances of podcasts being a way to get a message out there for virtually no cost to start. But the mainstream media sees all of these outlets as a threat, justifiably as a threat because all of their readerships and viewerships are going down because people know I can now go out there and I can get all these voices and it it doesn't have to fall within this acceptable range of opinion where anybody to the right of David Brooks isn't listened to. And I mean, even anybody to the left of Hillary Clinton or, or Paul Krugman or something, even they're sometimes denounced as being fringy by some of these outlets. So I don't want to say it's only on the right. I think it's I think it's more pervasive. And you know somebody like Bernie Sanders is going to have more of an outlet in the Washington Post or the Huffington Post or something than somebody like Ron Paul is going to have in the New York Times. You know? So I think it' it's it's not perfectly equal on either side i think the right there's far more you know there's far more aversion to allowing those people to have a voice than to the more fringy people on the left but it does happen both ways i want to make that clear it's not only an issue of right versus left but these ideas are getting out there and i'm going to be biased here in this in this analysis toward the liberty movement because i i feel like that's what I know most about, and that, that's where I'm seeing the most impact you know, to, to my beliefs, to, to people that I agree with, to people whose voices I would like to hear more of not getting an outlet on these, on these mainstream networks or mainstream websites or mainstream newspapers. So their voices have not been heard, but there are now ways to get it out there and bypass the CNNs of the world and bypass the Huffington Post of the world. There's a way to do that for virtually no cost, and it's only getting easier and easier every day, and cheaper and cheaper every day. So I think that's what's happening here, and Trump is right on this, that the media is an enemy of the American people. Any institution that's out there to try to narrow the range of American thought and American opinion, I think, is an enemy of the people. And I think that's what the mainstream media has been doing for years, has been suppressing certain opinions, and certain ideologies. And I'm not saying that every single ideology and viewpoint can get an equal amount of time out there. But it has gotten narrower and narrower. You know, that basically, quote-unquote, moderates like David Brooks are as far right as, as basically you allow voices on your outlet to get. And that's just been happening. It's just been narrowing further and further over time. Uh, So, at the same time, I think what Trump is doing, where he he comes out and he's just blasting the press, just blasting the media, and then he's saying these obvious falsehoods, like that he had the, the largest electoral college victory since Ronald Reagan, that's just one example of many in that press conference, but him going out and saying things like that that are so demonstrably false that it takes away from his message, so that what now they can do what the mainstream media now can do is they can come back and say well Trump you you know you're blasting us for being fake news for for not telling the truth for not investigating deeply enough and yet you come up and you say something that's clearly false and it takes away completely from that message and then the people that do religiously follow the new york times or religiously follow these these outlets that Trump is blasting it emboldens them to say you know we're right Obviously, we're right. We're not fake news because Trump is Trump is trying to criticize us, but he's obviously an idiot, and he's obviously just saying things that are false and running off his mouth and thinking he's not going to be fact checked. So I think if Trump really wants this message to take hold, which I think it's good, I think it's a good message, and I think it's something that if more Americans internalize this, the better, and the more we can take down these pillars. You know, I'm, I'm putting that in quotes, these, these pillars of, of the press, the New York Times and the CNNs of the world, the better, I think, because I don't want to see American thought and American opinion narrowed down to the extremely minuscule range of opinions that they would like us to hold. I just don't think that's good f- good for an educated populace, I don't think it's good for a political debate, I don't think it's good for governance in general. Because I think what you'll see happen is a continued centralization of power. And one of the themes of the show, how we've seen continued centralization of power. And the media has fed right into that. Because the more that power is centralized, the more that these big networks, the more that these entrenched interests have to gain from it. Because they're the ones that are most, most connected to Washington, D.C., you know they're the ones. They're the ones that have the closest relationships to the representatives and and to the to the deep state members in D.C. And so the more power that's concentrated there, the less a threat the independent media becomes. Because now the more scoops that they can get, um, the the less that's happening on the state and local levels. So you'll probably continue to see state and local media be crowded out by additional you know media. At the federal government level media in washington dc so that's what they would like to see they have they have a vested interest in seeing continued centralization of power they do not want to see decentralization occur and so the sooner we realize this the sooner we can start we can start to take everything they say with a grain of salt and i think what a lot of people are are seeing is because they hate donald trump so much and they're willing to run on on very loosely sourced stories if they even have sources but it's always unnamed sources say this and usually the story ends up not coming out to be what it says but people remember the headlines and they run on that that's why you hear that oh it's it's president putin running the, the united states or it's it's white supremacist president steve bannon that's really running things behind the scenes you know all these things that are just complete exaggerations and really have have little or no basis in fact but that's why you see people running with these types of stories and you had the same thing happen with the mike flynn ousting where we don't know the details i would like to know the details i would love to see them investigate the details if there's a recording out there get your hands on it and you know maybe it can't be released to the american people but let's let's see was he actually trying to trying to get some sort of quid uh, quid pro quo agreement there with the Russians where, well, if, if you help Trump get elected, then we'll try to remove the sanctions on you. Did that actually happen or did sanctions just come up in a conversation between uh, b- between Mike Flynn and his Russian contact, who he had known prior to this whole election cycle? And Flynn was not part of the American government at the time. He was a private citizen at the time. So that, that whole story was a huge reach and people coming out People jumped on the Dan Rather quote where he said that this could be bigger than Watergate. Well, there, there have been a lot of scandals that could be bigger than Watergate if everybody's worst suspicions about them came true. And if more information comes out, maybe this could be bigger than Watergate. Maybe it could. But I haven't heard anything about it since they got Flynn to resign, since they infiltrated uh, Flynn's relationship with the Trump White House. And there really hasn't been any additional information on it since. So that leads me to believe that it was all headline clickbait type, you know, type of garbage and they achieved their ends and now they're going to move on to their next their next way to try to discredit the Trump administration. My biggest problem with this and I've said this multiple times on this podcast is that there are a lot of legitimate reasons to be criticizing the Trump White House and there is a lot of legitimate criticism out there. I'm not saying that all of the criticism of the, of the Trump White House is irrational but it's clouded and it's superseded by all of this just irrational fear-mongering about what's happening and people seem to want to you know they seem to want to act like this government was clean and a well-oiled machine prior to Trump coming in and Trump just bowling a china shop is coming in and destroying everything well that wasn't the case this was an inefficient, just you know, monster run out of control prior to Trump getting here. And it's still a monster run out of control since Trump has gotten in office. Not much has changed. And anybody that's been following this without being, you know, without being completely biased by being a Democrat or Republican and being on that team or the other, anybody that's been able to stand outside of of that partisan type of politics has been able to see that. That's why we're sitting here saying, well, What's that different about this Trump presidency compared to what we've seen in prior presidencies? You know, does does Trump have gaffes often? Yes. Did Obama have gaffes often? Yes. I want to link to, to ho- hopefully I remember this, I'm not writing anything down here, but I want to link to the most recent Contra Krugman episode, which is with Bob Murphy and Tom Woods and they dissect their favorite Paul Krugman column from the week and they go over a bunch of obama gaffes and it's a really good discussion and basically what tom wood says is you know i don't i don't want to destroy somebody's career destroy somebody's reputation because they make a gaffe we all make gaffes we're human and trump is going to make his fair share of gaffes and look back at at obama's gaffes but i don't even remember hearing about a, a lot of those in the media but every single time trump screws up it's front page news it's it's the top headline So what I'm trying to do here, and I think what people that aren't blinded by those partisan politics are trying to do here, is to be consistent and to not now blindly either give our allegiance to Donald Trump, because that would obviously not be principled whatsoever, but also not to pile on for things that we wouldn't have criticized prior administrations for. And I think that's exactly what's happening just the hysteria surrounding this presidency is incredible and people jumping on any single connection the littlest connection without really any sourcing any information any data whatsoever jumping on it like well now trump needs to be impeached when the same information you would not have heard a peep about it from the obama administration now another thing i want to make clear here is that most of these things that are coming out about the Trump administration are problems and I would like to see them solved. I'm more piling on to the left and to the never Trump people, because I think that all they're doing it for is for political reasons is it's for political gain. It's not because they actually think that those things are wrong or they actually think that, you know, it goes against their principles. They're doing it because they see an opening in 2018 or in the future where we can use this to our political advantage then, or they're so blinded by being on the being on their particular team that they that they can't see beyond that. They're just in these blinders. They have these certain people they trust. That's all that they go off of, and that's going to be how they react. Everything is partisan. So a lot of people fall into one of those two camps, or some people in both camps, I guess. Uh, but a lot of these issues in, in the Trump administration are big issues. I look at something like the story where. They're talking about the cost to defend Trump and to defend uh, Melania and and Trump's son at Trump Tower in New York um, and Trump's vacations. I think those are all big issues, but people are trying to present this and trying to draw a dichotomy between what's happening with Trump and what happened under Obama, and Obama took a lot of these lavish, expensive vacations and was very loose with taxpayer money, and I think that those are issues for both administrations we should be trying to stop that overall but it shouldn't be for republicans you know oh it's not an issue when george bush goes on vacation i also know obama's in office so we've got to find a way to criticize him let's criticize him on these expensive vacations and then you criticize him then and then now trump comes into office and then now you defend trump by saying well obama did the same thing they're all issues we, we should not be spending millions of dollars for our presidents to go on vacations they can foot the bill themselves. You know that's how every other occupation works. They can foot the bill themselves. They really shouldn't be going on extensive vacations. Most American people can't go on extensive vacations. They can maybe go on you know one two week vacation a year if they're lucky. Uh, but that bill should be being footed by themselves. That should not be that should not be the American taxpayer funding that. And it, it, more at the the root of that issue, the base of that issue is why is our president such a target? It's because of how how much executive power has been consolidated. You know, in the early parts of the American Republic, the the president did not need all these secret uh, all these secret service guards around him all the time. All these agents around him all the time did not need constant hardcore security every place that he went. You didn't need that because the president didn't have that much power. The federal government itself didn't have that much power. You know, the president wasn't this king-like figure that he's become. And so you didn't need all of that, all of those expenditures to protect the president. The president could go out into, into a sea of American people and be normal. You know, he was a politician, but he wasn't a king. It wasn't somebody that somebody was going to try to assassinate necessarily for Political reasons. I know that there were presidents assassinated all throughout American history, um, and that's part of the reason why we've, you know, reached the point where we're spending all this money to, to protect the president and then protecting presidents' lives after they get out of office, which I also think is completely ridiculous. But if you look at, if you look at which presidents have been assassinated, the first one was Abraham Lincoln, and Abraham Lincoln is where you can trace back this current imperial presidency. If you look at what he did during the Civil War, and all the power that he took upon himself, declaring martial law in particular uh, in particular territories, suspending habeas corpus, you know all these things that he did, and you know invading his own prior states, uh, all these things that he did were beyond the scope of the federal government at the time, and all of the powers now that are cr- that our current presidents have taken upon themselves and that our current federal government has taken upon themselves, you can go back to the Abraham Lincoln presidency and at least see the beginning, at least see the genesis of those powers. And it got worse and worse over time. You can point at particular presidents. You know, Theodore Roosevelt, he consolidated uh, significant power in the executive branch. If you look at uh, Woodrow Wilson, he he was a horrendous offender. Uh, FDR, Lyndon Johnson, you know, you you can point at a lot of presidents along the way that have made that problem worse. But it wasn't an issue. The assassination of presidents was not an issue until Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln is the first imperial president that you really see. You know, before him, there was at least still this attempt to try to adhere to the Constitution. Now, some presidents were far better at that than others. Some were not very good at it, but there was at least still some sort of respect for the Constitution. But since Abraham Lincoln, there's been very little. And there have been some presidents along the way that have that have been better. Uh, you look at somebody like Grover Cleveland. He was, he, he, I think he believed in in the actual oath that he took, the oath of office that he took, and tried to limit executive power. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, maybe you could point it as another example in the 20th century, but very few since then have worked to decrease the power that the executive branch and the federal government as a whole have had very, very few have. So I think that's the issue that we need to be looking at. It's very similar to talking about the lobbying issue and lobbying of Congress and why is lobbying an issue? It's because there's, there's so many favors to buy. It's because our federal government does so much more than it was intended to do. And it's such a haven there's so much money flowing in there and then flowing out that there's so much to siphon off the top and that's why lobbyists go there and if you if you have special interests that come together and they can you know they can hammer congressmen on that particular special interest the american people as a whole can't really fight against that because say the you know the the sugar industry using them as an them as an example the cost of that's going to be spread across the entire American population. So where maybe the sugar industry is looking at each company getting millions of dollars of extra profits. Maybe it costs every American an extra 25 or $50 or $100 a year or something like that where it's not worth the, American, the average American person's time to try to go and fight the sugar lobby to get something that's favorable to them rather than favorable to the sugar lobby. And this happens in industry upon industry upon industry. But that's why lobbying is an issue it's because of all the all the power that's there to be bought and any limits that you put in place it's just trying to put a band-aid over the issue the issue is you need to decrease the the number of favors that are there to be bought decrease the power that's there and it's the same thing here with trying to criticize obama for taking too many vacations and you know the cost to protect him or now criticizing trump for all the costs to protect him it's because we have an imperial president it's because we have this president that has so much power and is such a symbol of of the american government of the american people as a whole that now he becomes a target but i kind of want to get off that depressing topic of talking about you know assassinations and, and why do people feel the need to go and try to assassinate uh politicians assassinate US presidents it's a very depressing issue that I'd rather not have to talk about but what I do want to talk about here is how never trumpers should be reacting to the Trump presidency I think no matter what he does there's going to be a large contingent of people that just hates him and wants nothing but to get him out of office and nothing he can do is going to change that I don't think because he's such a symbol to these people of you know racism and bigotry and hatred or whatever terms they, they want to use to describe him. But the way that they're opposing him, and I've made this point on my podcast before, but you're not afraid of Donald Trump the person. Donald Trump the person in his private life has, has no power over you. Donald Trump cannot affect your life in any sort of negative way when he's a private citizen. It's now the power that he takes on when he becomes president because the president has so much ability to impact your life that's why you are scared and i wish people would would be making this connection more and more that the issue is the power and we need to figure out how can we not give subsequent people subsequent presidents this much power because we're so divided as a country we we really are there's there's such a regional divide and there has been all throughout american history this is a common theme throughout throughout american history there really has been no time where we we've all been united you know maybe in major wartime where it became us versus them maybe that's when we've come together to you know fight a common enemy but it's been a common issue throughout the american republic that there are sectional divides when you have a country this big it's inevitable it's never going anywhere so No matter who is elected as president, there's probably going to be about 50% of the country that that likes the president and that's all on board for the agenda and 50% that hates it. That's just a reality of life. It might be more like 55-45 or maybe 60-40 even, but very rarely is it going to be, you know, 90% of people are on board with their president's agenda and there's just a tiny minority that's opposing it. I don't I don't really see that happening. It hasn't happened in my lifetime. I don't know when the last time is that that's happened. Uh, but certainly not in certainly not in, not in recent decades and not throughout the majority of American history. So what can we do about that? What can we do about having perpetually 40, 45, 50% of people hating the person that's there to represent them in a king-like position what can you do you can take power away from that person take power away from that branch of government and return it to the states and return it to the people but i don't see anybody on the left advocating for that i don't see anybody saying that that's what we need to do all that they're saying is, well, now in 2018, we need to get out and we need to mobilize voters. We need to get out. We need to get we need to get our people in there. We need to get our people in there to exercise that power. But this is just going to be a seesaw. It's just going to keep going back and forth, back and forth until eventually it reaches a point where, you know, we're at civil war with each other, you know, where where the different parts of the country are so against each other that they can't possibly come together and have a common government eventually that's going to happen i don't know when that would be it might not be in my lifetime might not be in my children's lifetime but at some point that will happen and that's the path that we're going down but nobody is realizing that on the left all that they're saying is now well you know in 2018 we need to get our people in there we need to get our people into congress in 2020 we need to get out we need to demonize donald trump and we need to get our person in there you know whether it's Elizabeth Warren or, or Joe Biden or whoever they end up running in 2020. Like, now it's of paramount importance that we need our person in there. We need our person imposing his or her will on the rest of the American people. And then it becomes now the other 40, 45, 50% of people that feel like they're being treaded on. That, that the rest of the country is imposing their will on now this other, you know, this Republican minority and i don't think it's sustainable i don't think it's possible to keep a country like this together a country th- this large that plays this this significant of a role on the national stage i don't think it's possible for for this government to continue when you have all these very different people trying to basically impose their will trying to get to 51% so that they can impose their will on the other 49% i think it's just it's dangerous and all it results in is us hating each other And I don't like seeing that. I mean, even even if I was to get my preferred person into power, you know, I don't want to see people that I disagree with politically crying or you know feeling like their lives are over because now my will is being imposed on them. I don't want that to happen. I don't I don't like seeing my fellow countrymen feeling that way, and I don't I think most people that aren't sociopathic feel the same way. But I think the only way to achieve that is to take the power away and to return it to the states and to return it to local governments and, you know, allow people to kind of sort themselves out by what they believe and have the limited power federal government that our founders envisioned, I think, for this exact reason. Because if you look at how the states were at that point in time, people identified far more with their state than they did with the country. You know, first and foremost, so-and-so was a New Yorker not an american. They were they were a New Yorker first and American second. And New York's interests were more important to them than American interests. Or you know to Thomas Jefferson, Virginian interests were more important than American interests. And that's how it was and I think I think that's healthier than trying to force everybody from all the from all these different cultural origins and and you know all these different areas where we're so different if you look at people from the midwest versus people from the large cities on the coast so different and trying to get us all together and agree on a government that's powerful enough to impose its will on all the states and on all the people it's it's just not going to work and we're setting ourselves up for failure and we're setting ourselves up to be vulnerable to foreign countries and then when you talk about the, the way that we have our military all over the world and in 130 countries or so, it makes us even that much more vulnerable. You know, we're no, our, our military isn't on the mainland to protect us. I'm not saying that I think that the United States is, is vulnerable to invasion whatsoever. I don't think any country would really have a chance, even if we didn't have a military. So many gun owners, so many people that would, that would rally to, to protect the mainland, it would be very difficult to make any sort of inroads, I think, into into the United States. But we're spread so thin, first of all, uh, militarily. And all this adventurous foreign policy is just stirring up, stirring up more discontent against the United States. We're broke, and we're getting broker every day. We're continuing to rack up more and more debt, continuing to add to these unfunded liabilities to the point where we will never be able to be solvent in terms of those programs without breaking promises of lots of people or breaking the promises that we've made to lots of people. And you have more and more discontent politically at home. I, that doesn't sound like a formula for the United States to continue to be a functioning country, You know, t- to continue to be powerful. And I don't think being powerful in and of itself is important, but I think being powerful in terms of being able to direct our own interests, you know, being able to make our own decisions without always having to worry about, well, who do we need to align ourselves with in order to make sure that we're not making the wrong person angry or the, or the wrong country angry, to be powerful enough to at least be able to, to direct our own destinies. I think the way that we're doing things now, we're moving f- uh, farther and farther away from that ideal. And it's just going to get worse. And I'm not trying to sit here and, and you know be a nationalist and say that I, I derive my identity from the power of the United States. It's not about being powerful, being the most powerful country in the world. That's not what I'm talking about here. But being powerful enough to make sure that American liberties are maintained, that's what's important to me. And I think that it's, it's paradoxical to a lot of people, but by making the federal government less powerful taking power away from the federal government taking power away from the deep state which surprisingly now is becoming a common term you know i thought at at one point it was more of an anarchist libertarian type of term now it's become part of the part of the vernacular but you take power away from that return it to the states and the people allow the federal government to do the things that it was originally empowered to do very limited in scope and i think we'll be far better off all of us will be able to pick, be able to determine how we want to live and not have to impose it on our on our, on our our neighbors far across the country. You know, we'll, we'll decide it with our neighbors close to us. Let California live how it wants to live for the most part. I mean, there, there's some power that you're ceding to the, to the federal government, of course. But let California live the way that it wants to live and let Kansas live the way that it wants to live. And we can come together for these specific enumerated reasons. But beyond that, there, you know, there should not be any 51% imposing its will on the other 49%. Unfortunately though, I think I'm just pissing in the wind for, for lack of a better <laughs> for lack of a better terminology to describe what I think' is happening here. But I think things are moving in the opposite direction of the way I would like them to move. And there is a substantial minority of the population, I think, is starting to wake up and starting to see the dangers of, of the path that we're going down. But I don't know if it's enough to really affect change until we're forced to change, and I don't know if that happens with a with a large depreciation of the U.S. dollar, or you know whether the U.S. government defaults, or whether there's a there's another disastrous decline in the stock market, decline in the economy. And probably the latter is the most likely at this point, I think, and I've talked about this in prior podcasts, but. I don't think it's possible for Trump to get out of these four years without a major downturn. And of course, what's going to happen? But the Democrats will be able to rally and be able to say that it was all Trump's fault and that if if you had kept a Democrat in the White House, this never would have happened. It would have happened no matter who you put in the White House. A crash was coming. Um, But I think we're just going to keep moving in that direction of more and more centralization. And it's unfortunate to watch. And I think all you can do is try to talk to people... And try to put your point out there. And try to try to empathize with them. If you're talking to somebody who's on the left. Somebody who's, who's a very strong, never Trump person. You know, give your criticisms of Trump. Because there are many there. You know, talk about Trump lying. And talk about how you would like to not have one man or one woman wield that much power. Talk about those things. But then make sure you make the point that this is nothing new with Donald Trump. That this is something that has come about under a multitude of previous presidents and it's culminated in what you're seeing now in Donald Trump taking office and taking the power of the presidency. So trying to make that point, both empathizing with them, but at the same time showing that this is nothing new, that this is really what's happening. You're only seeing a part of the picture because I think you're blinded by, by your partisan glasses that you have on where you've just been told and you've just been fed that that Trump is so much worse than than what anybody could have possibly imagined and and that this is a monster something like we've never seen in the white house something like we've never seen in american politics that's how people are making donald trump sound and i just don't think he's that radically different from what we've seen in the past and i think that the that the media sees him as a threat because of because he does have such popularity from a portion of the country and a portion of the country that's that's not giving the mainstream media any sort of run anymore. That's just completely discounted them. There's also this uh you know anti-expert type of type of ideology there as well where the experts, quote unquote, have been have been so wrong about a lot of things that people just are are tuning them out now. And somebody's somebody's touted out as an expert, somebody's brought out as an expert. People now are looking at them with skepticism. You know why? Why should I believe you when you've been wrong about so many things in the past? I've talked about economists being a great example of this, but economists just being wrong time and time and time again about a lot of things. You know, why should I believe this Keynesian economist coming out when when they were so wrong about the downturn in the economy in in 2008, 2009? Why should I believe them this time? That's just one example of many, but. I think that's what's happening. I wanted to tie it back to what I what I talked about originally with the mainstream media and why Trump is so at war with them and why they are so at war with Trump is because they see him as a threat, him mobilizing these people and people responding to it and people really calling out the media now and, and not listening to them. This is somebody that they can't control and this is now a group of the American populace that they can't control. And if you look at their... They're declining readership and viewership. That's evidence enough right there. And I think that's the portion of the population where it's happening happening the most. But I think they're even starting to turn off a lot of you know, rank-and-file members of the Democratic Party where they want to see a, f- a free and open press. And they want to see people that are critical both of, of the current regime, so both of Donald Trump, but also of previous presidents. I think a lot of people are seeing how hypocritical some of some of the uh, you know some of the criticism of Trump has been. But I think what Trump wants is he just wants a press that's going to agree with him and to not get in the way too much. So I think that's why. Just because I think Trump is right on this issue, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I think that Trump has these pure motives, and I don't think that Trump actually wants you know a, a free and open press necessarily he just wants people to do what he would like to do without the press continually getting in the way and rumor mongering about him um so i think his i think his motives are off but he's generally right that i think the media is an enemy of the american people an enemy of people that want an educated populace so i think i ranted long enough on that Uh, i just kind of wanted to get a whole lot out there i I didn't have news stories in front of me or anything that i wanted to talk about in particular i want to save that for if i do an episode tomorrow talk about some specific stories in more detail but there's just been so much that's that's happened over the last week and a half or so that i just wanted to kind of give my overarching analysis of of what's going on here so thank you so much for listening and hopefully i'll have another one out tomorrow like i said have a great rest of your long weekend